welcome to the Frequently Asked Questions podcast for the Office of the Public Guardian. My name is Laura and I work in the communications team. Thank you for choosing to listen. I'm here today with Ben and Jessica, if you'd like to introduce yourselves. Hi there, I'm Ben. Hello everyone, my name's Jess. Lovely, thanks. We've had lots of you come to us asking questions on how you create your lasting power of attorney, which is great. But we want to make sure you get it right the first time and we're here to help. So we've created a list of our frequently asked questions to help you create your lasting power of attorney, or as we call it, your LPA. So my first question is around the process of thinking about setting one up and if you need to pay for it. So how would I apply for a remission or an exemption? Okay, so you would you'd need to apply for that at the same time that you apply for your lasting power of attorney. And you do that by filling in an LPA 120A form. Uh, so that comes out with our application pack. So if you've had one through the post, it's a sort of an orangey peachy coloured form. Um, and depending on what you're applying for, you'd need to send sort of uh, the relevant evidence. So if you're applying for an exemption, uh, which is a, a total a, a total sort of exemption of the fees, you don't have to pay anything at all, uh, then you'd need to send us uh, the supporting evidence to show you what benefits you're on, which qualify, and those benefits are listed in the LPA 120 as well, so uh, there's a list in there for you to look at. And similarly, if you're applying for a remission, which is 50% uh, off the fee, uh, then you'd need to send the evidence for that as well, so uh, you qualify for a remission if you earn less than £12,000 a year gross, uh, and then we just ask to see sort of what, what sort of income you've got, what proof have you've got of that. Uh, but again, all that's listed in the LPA 120 form as well. Cool. Thank you. That was that was really useful. Um, so I'm thinking about sort of creating a lasting power of attorney and thinking who I might want to appoint as as someone. So if I want to appoint a family member and they live abroad, can I still use them? Okay. Yes. Yeah. So um, in terms of your attorneys, they can live anywhere in the world. Um, there is no restrictions on where they live. But one thing that you might want to consider is the practicalities of that. So, for example, the lasting power of attorney, um, it only covers sort of England and Wales. So if your attorney is abroad and they need to act for you, um, potentially they could be appointed jointly. So it means your attorneys would have to make decisions together. They may need to come to the UK to act on your behalf. So whilst they can live anywhere in the world, it's definitely important to consider whether that's practical or not. Yeah, I, I'd also add, if I can there, just that, just in the creation of the lasting power of attorney as well, because we can't accept um, digital or scanned copies of signatures, they, they're, they're going to have to sign the form. Um, so if they live you know, on the other, half, the other side of the world, uh, you're going to have to post the form to them for them to post it back to you. So it can cause issues in creating the document as well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Exactly. So um, I think just to sort of retouch on the the thing that I mentioned about them being jointly. So um, jointly is one of the appointment types within the last power of attorney. So if you have more than one attorney, you can appoint them to act jointly, which means they have to do everything together. Just to sort of reiterate, that's why they would have to come back to the UK to act. So they wouldn't be able to do something like online banking because the bank would expect all attorneys to be there to make a decision. If they were to live in another part of the world, they wouldn't have that sort of access to online banking. Um, just to reiterate that point. Cool, thank you. Yes, that's um, that's really useful. So kind of sticking to this, creating an LPA, who can witness your document when you're creating it? Okay, yeah, this is this is a really frequent question. So um, 
anybody over the age of 18 with mental capacity can be a witness, but there are a few exceptions. So if uh, if you're the donor, so if you're if the lasting power of attorney is for you, then you can't have your uh, your signature witnessed by any of the attorneys or the replacement attorneys. Um, similarly, um, the attorneys in the document, they can't have their signature witnessed by the donor. The attorneys, if it's helpful, they can witness each other. So if you've got two attorneys living in the same household, more than more than happy for them to witness each other. And as well, uh, your certificate provider. So the person who is signing to say that you've got capacity to create the document and that, that you're not being coerced, the person who signs in section 10, uh, they can also be the witness to anybody in the document. So, uh, so that can help you out there as well. Cool, yeah, super useful. So um, yeah, people who are already involved can, can witness it. So it's not having to find extra people if you, mm. if you don't need to. Great. So we kind of mentioned just then that your certificate provider can witness your signatures, but mm -hmm. who can be a certificate provider? Okay, so um, I'll take this one. So we get actually get this question quite a lot because um, some people don't think that it's quite clear within the lasting power of attorney. So it's good to cover this. So a certificate provider, they're not actually giving a certificate as such. Um, it can be a little bit misleading like that. But a certificate provider is basically a person who is going to sign to say that the donor has capacity as far as they're aware, they're not being forced into making the lasting power of attorney um, and that the donor understands what the lasting power of attorney is for essentially. So in terms of who the certificate provider can be, it could be um, one of two types of people. So it could either be someone who knows the donor on a personal level, so they've known them for more than two years and that could be like a friend or a neighbour, but it can't be a relative, that is one of the big no-nos. Um, so it definitely can't be a relative. It has to be someone completely independent from the family. So um, it could be someone who knows it personally or alternatively, if they don't have a friend or a neighbor or someone that they trust in that way, then they could have a professional person as their certificate provider. So that could be, for example, the GP or a solicitor. But something to bear in mind is that if you do choose a professional certificate provider, they may charge you. And we've heard all sorts of prices over the phone so um i've heard ones that range from 50 pounds to 100 pounds yeah um and 100 pounds is more than it even costs to register a lasting power of attorney so we would usually recommend a friend or a neighbor someone that's not really going to charge and someone that knows the donor personally and they're happy to sign it to say that the donor knows exactly what the power of attorney is and what it's for great thank you so thinking about sort of witnessing the signatures there is a specific order, isn't there, for how you kind of have to sign the document. So what is the order of signing a lasting power of attorney? OK, uh, essentially, it's um, the earlier the signature appears in the document, um, the, the sooner it's signed. Um, so if you think uh, of the document itself, it's it's set out in sections and each of those sections have a number. Uh, so it's it's in in the order of those numbers. Uh, but if you think about it in who does what first, it's the donor does their bit first. So the donor would sign their sections. So uh, in a health and welfare document, that would be sections five and then section nine. In a property and finance document, that would be section nine. Um, any continuation sheets that the donors use, they need to be signed either on the same day or before section nine as well. So when we're looking at what the donor's signing, the donor signs section nine last after everything else they need to sign. And then they get that, uh, they get that and have that witness when they do that. Once, you don't, once the donor's then signed, then it goes on to section 10 and that's the certificate provider. So they'll, they'll sign to say that they've had that conversation with the donor at the time section nine was signed and then they'll have that sign and then they'll sign section 10. 
Um, after that, that's when the attorneys would sign in their section 11. Um, now, with the attorneys, um, it's important to remember that they don't all have to sign on the same day. Uh, none of this document does need to be signed on the same day. It just needs to be in, in the right order. Um, so, for example, if you've got an attorney who lives next door and an attorney who lives, you know, on the, the other end of the country, they can sign on different days as long as they've all signed after the certificate provider in section 10 and then before the applicant has signed in section 15. When you're signing the document, each of the pages where a signature is needed, it, it does say on there with a, a little exclamation mark, don't sign this page until this page has been signed. So as long as you stick into the guidelines in the, in the document, you can't really go wrong. Great, thank you. So yes, you can find information on the order of signing if you go online to do your um, lasting power of attorney there is lots of guidance on there for you so you can find that on our gov.uk page so i've sent in my application it's been registered i've got it back when can my attorneys act for me yeah so it's, it's important to know that with a lasting power of attorney your attorneys just can't take over for you because uh, that, that, that's something i've heard a, a few times so that's that's not something to be concerned about with the lasting powers of attorney it's written into the documents themselves about when they can be used so uh, with a health and welfare lasting power of attorney your attorneys can only act for you once you've lost the ability to make your own decisions. So that's that's when you've lost mental capacity. On a property and financial document, they can act for you when you've told them they can in section five of that document. So you might have set it up for them so that they can use it straight away once it's been registered and then they can help you out with things at the bank. Um, or you might have put down in there that you don't want them to use it until you've lost mental capacity, at which point they can only use it at that time. When the attorneys are using the lasting power of attorney, though, they have to abide by the five key principles of the Mental Capacity Act. Uh, again, those are written into the document and you'll see them in there as well. And the attorneys have signed to say that they'll do this. So they must act on the presumption of capacity. So you have to assume that somebody has mental capacity. Uh, you, you can't say that they haven't unless it's been deemed that they haven't. You've got you've got that right there. It's important to point out as well that making unwise decisions doesn't automatically mean that you've lost capacity. Uh, while you've got your capacity, you can make any decision you want to make. It is absolutely your right to do that because because you know you can do everybody can do uh, and then if somebody wants to question that then they might want to get a capacity assessment done at some point the attorney should support you to make your own decisions where you can so when you can make your own decisions your attorney should help you do that they shouldn't just take over because they think oh it's too much of a bother to to help or or something like that they have to support you in doing so when they are making decisions on your behalf so when when you have or if you do lose mental capacity and they are now making those decisions they have to act in your best interests anything that they do for you any decision that they make for you has to be in your best interests they can't put themselves above you they can't think about anybody else it's in your best interests and another important one the fifth principle is they have to make a decision which is the least restrictive option so if they're making a decision on on where you live or how much money you should have or have access to they have to make the decision which is the least restrictive to you, gives you the most freedom possible. So you do have those protections there. If you are worried about attorneys taking over, like I say, it's written into the document, but when your attorneys are acting for you, they've got to stick by those rules as well. That's great, yeah, thank you. Especially the unwise decisions one, I guess. Mm. People might assume that 
because you decide to spend all your money on a sports car or go that's to it. Vegas gambling that you might not be in your right mind. But that's exactly it. But it's, if it's, you want to do that, you can. You can. It's your money. If you want to spend it all on the horses, go for it. Uh, so, yeah. You know, if you've got capacity, that's entirely your choice. Yeah, great. Thank you. So talking about like people looking, helping you to make decisions and abiding by the Mental Capacity Act, can anyone be an attorney? Okay, yes. So um, pretty much anyone can be your attorney, except for they have to be over the age of 18 and they have to have mental capacity. So that basically means that they obviously can make decisions. But one thing that they really need to bear in mind is that this person needs to be someone that they trust. At the end of the day, this document's going to be in place if they ever lose mental capacity. So they want to make sure that everything's set up for later in life. You don't know what's around the corner, what's going to happen. So the person that you're appointing has to be someone that you trust. Once again, a friend or a neighbour, spouse, child. But understandably, not everyone has relatives or close friends that they would trust enough. So you could actually have a professional attorney, um, so like a solicitor, for example. But then once again, bearing in mind that they will be charging you to do that um, to carry out that duty. Another thing to sort of point out is that your attorney, they can't be bankrupt. Um, so if you are bankrupt and you want to be an attorney for someone, unfortunately, you can't be. If you are then cleared of that bankruptcy, at that point, then you could be an attorney, but not whilst you're bankrupt. So just to add that in there. Just, just on that one, um, that's just for property and finance LPAs, though. So if you've yeah. got someone who's bankrupt on health and welfare, they can still do that. No problem. Oh, yes. Good point. Thanks. So, yep, created the document and it's all signed and ready to go. I might be inclined to kind of hold on to it, you know, just in case. We've addressed this already that people won't automatically take over, but just to kind of keep hold of it. Mm-hmm. But when when's the best time really for me to register the document? I would say as soon as possible. If you think about it more like an insurance policy, you, 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 you fill the form in, you get it registered, it's in place and it's there in case the very worst happens and then you've got someone there to look after you, to look after you rather. If you leave it and say you leave it until you've lost mental capacity and then you want one of your attorneys to register it, that is your choice to do so. But then you'd have to consider that at the moment it, it, it takes quite a while to register one of these documents. Um, so you, you, you could be looking at a few months before the attorneys can make decisions. And you've got to consider as well that if there is a problem with the lasting power of attorney, which needs you as the donor to correct it. And if you've no longer got capacity or you're not able to do that anymore, well, then that document can't be registered. And if if you get to that situation, then you're looking at a far more complex process of having to go to the court of protection and, and get deputy ships and things like that. So I would say as soon as as soon as possible. Cool. Thanks very much. So finally, my last question is what happens if I have further questions on filling in my LPA document that haven't been answered on here? OK, so if your question hasn't been answered on here, you can go to um, you can go online and you can go to gov.uk forward slash OPG. Um, we have lots of guidance on there about filling out last and power attorney applications. And then if you have any further questions, you can contact us by email. So customer services at publicguardian.gov.uk. Or you can call us on 0300 456 0300. Amazing. Thank you very much for um, volunteering to be on my podcast and help us address some of our frequently asked questions. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having us.